Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being patient. I know there was some difficulty with transportation, but we are very excited that you're here. Uh, today is our Boeing Signature Seminar, and I will be introducing this wonderful panel of leaders this morning. Um, this year's seminar is called The Flight Plan of Your Career. So if you imagine taking off flight, much like our Boeing products, you know, it's the different phases of flight. So think about it as part of your career, you know, the takeoff, the cruise, the landing. So each one of our panel members, including our moderator, which I'll be introducing soon, will talk a little bit about those aspects of your career. So with that, I'd like to introduce our moderator, Andrea Allen. All right. Andrea is currently the program manager for the Technical Fellowship Program responsible for operations and modernization priorities to drive stronger integration and engagement across the enterprise. Prior to this role, Andrea worked as part of the learning organization team supporting BDS. And in this role, she was responsible for developing and delivering learning right solutions to BDS in support of Boeing learning initiatives. Prior to this role, Andrea spent time in multiple business environments, including program management, operations, engineering, and human resources. So welcome, Andrea Allen. Um, I also wanna thank Andrea, because she's always my co-creator uh, with our seminars every year, and then also Jasmine Stray, who gave us the inspiration of the theme this year, so thank you both of you. <clears throat> All right, welcome Bernice Phillips. So Bernice is actually going to be winning an award tonight for corporate responsibility. So please celebrate her tonight. Uh, Bernice is actually the Director of Global Engagement, Central Region, and com Company Contributions for the Boeing Company. Um, she's responsible for oversight of the company's external relationships in the nonprofit and state and local government sector, and her collaborative efforts in the community across the Central Region. In her current uh, role, um, she's ensuring that contributions drive greater impact for the company. Bernice joined the Boeing Company in 2001 um, she served previously as the manager and chief of staff to retired chairman, uh, president, and CEO Jim McNerney. Bernice was born and raised in Chicago and volunteers as a STEM mentor at various STEM learning activities in Chicago, Gary, and Indi Gary Indiana. She received the 2021 20, Black Engineer of the Year Modern Day Technology Leader Award and the 2019 Women of Color All-Star Award. So Bernice also has a BS in business administration. So welcome, Bernice. <clears throat> All right. And our next panelist, Karima Calhoun. Karima is won the Community Service Award. So please celebrate her tonight. We're excited <laughs> to celebrate Karima. Um, Karima is the manager of indirect supply chain for the Boeing Company. She joined Boeing in 2014 and has supported various functions over the years in information technology, facilities management, and then prior to that, she worked in project management and cybersecurity uh, compliance. She graduated from the University of South Carolina with a BA in journalism and mass communications. Karima is also has an MBA from Charleston Southern University and a master's of science in information security systems technology from Capella. Karima is passionate about helping others. She gives back by volunteering to support various community initiatives. She is the chair of the Boeing Black Employees Association in South Carolina. And she's also a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority and is the chair of the Gamma Gi Omega chapter. 
and serves as the board for several nonprofit organizations. Karima grew up in Calhoun Falls, South Carolina, and resides in the Charleston area. So welcome, Karima. <laughs> All right, and I want to give a very nice introduction because we're actually welcoming back Norma Clayton, Miss, Miss Clayton, and our fabulous Miss Norma Clayton is actually a retired Boeing Vice President for Learning, Training, and Development, and she was collaborating with business and responsible for the design and implementation of training development programs. She previously served as the Vice President of Supplier Management procurement and for integrated defense systems where she was responsible for subcontracting sub procurement matters. Norma was recently inducted into the National Academy of Engineering for her leadership in transforming manufacturing processes and supply chain and for her innovative training programs. Now, I want to mention Norma is retired, but she wants to really make sure you understand her legacy, which she'll talk a little bit more uh, later in the seminar, but she has tremendous list of accomplishments and a lot of great experiences. So I'll just mention some highlights here. Um, so Norma received two master's degree from Webster. She has a master's in business administration and a master's in workforce development and industrial psychology. A PhD candidate and you know emphasis on operations research. So even though she's retired, she's still driving it forward, still leading the way. So really appreciate Norma's contributions there with their education. And then in addition to that, she, in fall of 2022, she was inducted into the Uni United States Academy of Engineering. Other board positions that she's part of, board of directors at the Nucor Corporation, chair and board of trustees at Tuskegee University, co-executive chair and board of trustees at New Jersey Institute of Technology, and she's an adjunct professor at Webster University. Other key awards that Norma has won. In 2009, she was the Woman of Color Technologist of the Year. In 2001, the Black Engineer of the Year Professional Achievement in Industry. In 2010, she was inducted into the Bea Hall of Fame. And she is included in the top 100 most significant women in technology. Top 100 Black Board of Directors in 2021. And in 2021, she founded the Learning Center which is named in her honor. So welcome the fabulous Ms. Norma Clayton. Okay, and then we're gonna also welcome Joy Johnson, and Joy has won the Professional Achievement in Industry Award tonight. So we are gonna celebrate Joy this evening as well. So please welcome Joy. Joy is a senior financial control analyst for Boeing Defense and Space and Special Programs. She manages finance for defense programs and total contract values more than $200 million. Joy has combined her passion for improving existing processes or her love for numbers, developed numbers to benefit multiple departments at Boeing and accounts and receivables. She collected audit samples and documentation for internal and external auditing requests. She has graced other business functions as engineering, operations, and technology, uh, integrated development, IT, cost accounting, process improvements, and saved the company a tremendous amount of money. Joy is currently a member of Boeing's Diversity Trailblazers program and the Boeing Black Employees Association Resource Group. This is where she received the Boeing St. Louis Valuing Diversity Inclusion Influencing Winner Award 
She's been active in the National Association of Black Accountants for over 15 years. So please welcome Joy. All right. And last but not least, we want to recognize Carissa Pagel. She is winning our Technical Innovation Award this evening. So Carissa, please, we want to celebrate you this evening. And Carissa is a Boeing designated expert in sealants and material technology. And she's the technical lead engineer of the Seattle Sealants Group. In addition to her number of emergent production activities and supporting programs, Carissa has several sealant qualification projects targeting fuel tanks, structural applications, and an excellent track record of project creation for process flow improvement and additional process safety measures. She's received the BRNT Performance and Innovation Award in 2014, 2018, and 2022. Her team was nominated for the 2016 BCA Engineering Excellence Team for EME Fuel Tank Sealants. She's been part of this nominated team for 2021 uh, for corporate engineering organizations, and she has been part of the 737 MAX Return to Service. Carissa loves to sketch, paint, landscape, and play piano. She was previously a volunteer teaching piano supporting poor but gifted children at a program at a local church before moving to Puget Sound. So I don't know how else to say, this is a phenomenal panel. So <laughs> I want to really welcome these ladies, and I know we're going to have a great seminar. So with that, I will pass it to Andrea, which you'll talk a little bit more about the flight plan. Thank you. Thank you, Prem. Let's give Prem a hand. Uh, so I'm going to share a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you think about it in the way of a basic flight plan, as Prem mentioned, a flight plan can help us as women of color in STEM take a bird's eye view of our careers. Our careers can be divided into three phases, uh, which are outlined in the three stages of flight. Uh, the takeoff, the cruise, and the landing. For example, consider the takeoff, which includes accelerating and the preparation steps, such as an action plan. Making progress or navigating in the right direction is interpreted as the cruise, and a roadmap is one of the tools that can help us during this phase. And then finally, we have the shape legacy and long-term impacts for others during the landing phase. So with that, we'll jump in uh, to the first question. And as we think about the different phases of flight and how we can apply that to the stages of a career life cycle, what are, wh where are you in the takeoff phase of your career? I want to start off with Joy. Good morning, everyone. So when I was in the takeoff phase of my career, I volunteered for everything. Um, at this point, it's good to be recognized with your executives within your company, other employees within the company. So now I spent just as much time preparing for my career as much time as I did in actually doing my job duties. With, so I have volunteered with many organizations within Boeing. So I was, and I made sure to try to get a leadership role within those um, diverse resource groups. So at one time, I was the, I was the sub team uh, communication, uh, I was the sub team communication lead 
for the Voice of the Employee uh, program within, it's a program within the Finance Division in Boeing. I was also on the steering committee of the Diversity Trailblazers, which is a group of diverse employees that are high performing. And also, I was a sub-team lead for the Diversity and Inclusion accounting team at the time. And within my department, I also was leading, um, I was uh, the lead plus focal, so helping other, uh, my peers within my department make process improvements. So I just, at that point, wanted to be recognized. So every, because all of us within the company or within your department, you all probably have degrees or bachelors, masters and all that. So you really have to stand out at this time um, at this phase so so you can be recognized and be seen by everyone at company so that's um, a key takeaway that I have during the takeoff phase is to try to um, step outside of just your regular job duties and get to know um, your executives and managers within your company thank you joy I think a lot of us uh, on this panel you know as we transition and uh, do different things. We'd like to try things, we like to volunteer for things. Um, and we may start off on one journey and pivot to another. Karima, can you talk to us a little bit about how you've pivoted in different uh, stages of your uh, career? Yeah, absolutely, so good morning everyone. So for me, even though I'm within my 15 year uh, career journey at this point, I'm very much still in that takeoff phase. So I'm in a unique situation where I'm in a, a three-year management rotation program. I'm in my second rotation. So think about within that, that three years, that's uh, three different opportunities. So every year I'm, I'm starting over essentially with relationship building, you know, learning a new team, um, developing a new team, motivating a new team, and also just trying to figure out, you know, how I can leverage my lessons learned to position me for the next opportunity. So there's a lot of, you know, really that, that self-awareness and those self-check, those self-check-ins, so to say, like, hey, like, am I taking away everything that I need to take away from these situations? And, and um, you know, am I, am I learning? Am I growing? Um, and also just the, the relationship building in it, you, your, you know, whatever you need to gain from insights of my employees, the insights from my mentors, um, other relationships that I'm building in hopes to try to leverage to get me to the next opportunity. So it's a lot of, um, I guess it's a lot of uh, the relationship building piece and the intentional conversations, um, not only to make me stronger in my current position, but also to set me up for what's next. So. You know, even though I'm in that, you know, I'm kind of in the second takeoff within the program that I'm in, you know, I'm definitely leveraging um, a lot of relationship building right now to set me up for that uh, third uh, takeoff for, for next year. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody else want to pull on that before we transition? All right. Awesome. So I wanted to pull a little bit on the thread that Joy mentioned about uh, preparing. Uh, and I wanted to pose the question. Um, to be. Um, how did you clearly define your career path and what action plans did you put together to help you prepare? Good morning, everyone. Um, I would just say 
the first thing I did is look at the internal resources available for me within the company. Um, and as you guys heard in Norma Clayton's bio, she was very influential, influential with the Boeing Leadership Center, which was located in Florissant, Missouri at the time. I had my first experience with the Boeing Leadership Center when I was on a team of executive administrators who developed the first executive support program. We took a proposal to the then chairman of the company that we felt it was critical to provide training and resources to um, individuals in administrative roles within the company. Um, and so we developed a three-day program. We got the approval from um, senior leadership and the budget that was deployed across the entire company where they actually got to spend three to four days at the Boeing Leadership Center and have this immersive training. So while I was at the Leadership Center, I started learning more about all of the program offerings you know, at the Leadership Center. And so I knew that I wanted to get into management, and so I was trying to devise my strategy to be um, accelerated into management. I learned about the Transition to Management program, which was a program which helped you gauge if management was the right role for you. Um, and then when I was able to accelerate into management, I went to the um, Boeing Basics, Boeing Management Basics program, I think it was called like BBM1, BBM2. And so every program that was available at the Leadership Center, I made sure that I took that program. And I also availed myself to internal resources that were available through our digital resources platform, which is now called Degreed. Um, but these were just basic, you know, at that time it was actually DVDs and some of it was like on an online platform that you could utilize that talked about strategy development. It talked about, you know, key, um, key characteristics of a good leader. And so as I was developing my career plan, I made sure that I was taking the appropriate courses to position me for success in, the, in that plan. And I looked at internal and external resources, but we were very fortunate and Boeing under the leadership of Norma had a tremendous amount of internal resources for us to leverage. And it, it really helped me to see like what specific direction I wanted to go in in a company that had like 160,000 um, 160, employees at that time. Um, and so I pivoted some, similar to what Karima talked about, um, and you know, and my career path may have changed, but I al always use the internal resources through the learning programs as my most valuable tool as I did those pivots. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. I know for me, within my career, I've pivoted a lot. I had my own um, personal rotation program, I'll call it, right? Um, I had my career map laid out. I had different opportunities that I wanted to learn. Um, and not only in formal roles, but also in informal roles, right? I reached out to different mentors and said, hey, you are doing something that I'm interested in. You know, is there an opportunity for me to shadow you, to learn a little bit more? So that's always a good opportunity to uh, do that too. I think, you know, just being open to different opportunities in different fields outside of what your specialty is allows you to stretch and grow. Um, talking more about just being open to um, different opportunities, Karima, did you want to tell, tell us a little bit more about some of the opportunities that you had? So of course, and as uh, Prim was given my bio, uh, I have a very curvy road getting to uh, my STEM career, um, but it's all good. 
I, uh, I leveraged my background in uh, communications, uh, journalism and mass communications to get me into cybersecurity. So this was, this was before Boeing. Um, never knew that I could or that I would end up in STEM. Um, it's just not necessarily something that I saw a lot of growing up. I'm from a very small town, one stoplight. It was just, you know, <laughs> I, um, I didn't have a lot of uh, exposure to STEM growing up. So it wasn't until later that I saw that, you know, I think I can leverage some of my transferable skills to get me to that next opportunity. So when I found out that this program within cybersecurity needed a communicator, I was like, okay, you know, I think I can go after this, even though I have absolutely no background in cybersecurity, but I can learn it. I can, you know, this is something that I can take on. And so when I learned more about what they were actually looking for, they needed someone to take, you know, very technical um, lingo instructions and turn it into everyday language so that anyone can understand what they needed to do to comply with different requirements. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So me, I guess, kind of thinking that I was not qualified and that I could not do it, I guess having some of that imposter syndrome, you know, mm -hmm. kick in that I didn't deserve, you know, that opportunity is like, no, I have this skill that they are seeking out. No, I don't have a technical background, but I can get there. I can, I can absolutely take this on. So it took a lot of, you know, uh, I guess kind of encouragement, conversations with, uh, with mentors to really push me out of my comfort zone um, to, really get, uh, to really get comfortable in entering that new door that I was opening uh, going into the STEM field. So um, once I, I guess, opened the door, walked through it, I mean, I, I ran on in, I never came out. You know, I definitely enjoyed uh, what I was doing. I, I enjoyed the new space. Um, and even though it wasn't something that I saw within my plan, I was open-minded. I was open to the possibilities of, hey, now that I'm in this field, I want to stay within this field. And I think at that point I had gotten my MBA, and that's really what prompted me to get um, my second master's degree because I'm like, now that I'm in STEM, I, I definitely wanted a, a degree to go along with it. So that's how I ended up getting my second master's because I was settled on staying within the field. So. Um, even though I've had, you know, lots of opportunities even beyond IT, um, I think just being open-minded has uh, allowed me to, to, you know, consider the possibilities beyond what my background is, what my current skill set is. It's like, hey, I can still continue adding things um, to my resume, to my toolbox. You know, it doesn't stop here. Um, so uh, being in the Boeing Leadership Rotation Program, uh, last year I worked in facilities and asset management, totally different from my background, totally different from IT, but it was a great learning opportunity. And currently I am in uh, indirect supply chain and you know, learning a whole new world within procurement, again, different from what uh, my background is, but it has been a great opportunity to learn even more and another side of the business. So again, being open-minded, you never know uh, what opportunities you know can can come uh, or that can come uh, beyond what you originally set out in your uh, action plan or in your five-year plan. Because I've I've had a plan, but um, I've also had a couple of detours along the way. But they've been good. They've all been good. Thank you, Karima. Did anybody else want to add any? Uh, so. Um, 
My grandmother used to always say that the difference between stepping stones and stumbling blocks is how you use them. Um, so I'd like to open the floor um, to the panel to hear about any challenges or obstacles you had to overcome during your journey. I know Karima, you mentioned imposter uh, syndrome. Do you wanna tell us a little bit more about what you were? Yeah, sure. So uh, so prior to my career at Boeing, um, I guess when that imposter syndrome really sunk in, I was in a work environment where I was the youngest. I was the only African-American. I was the only uh, woman, actually, for a little while. Um, I was the only person who was not prior military, and I was the only person that didn't really have a technical background. So everyone is looking at me like, you don't belong here. And I felt like I didn't belong there. So it was a lot of intentional um, relationship building. Mm -hmm. And as strange as it sound, sounded, I had to figure out ways, how can I meet them in the middle? How can I get them to see Yes, I need help from you, but you also need help from me. So I think it was, you know, I started out simply as like, hey, you know, let's go to lunch, figuring out what it is that they like, figuring out, you know, kind of where our conversations would, uh, you know, kind of meet us in the middle, you know, just having more than just the, you know, work conversations. How can we, you know, build to where they feel comfortable with me being here and I feel comfortable actually being here. Um, so I think it was a lot of whether it was, hey, going out to lunch, going to find food trucks, going to, you know, just having conversations about, you know, different things outside of work to really learn more of, you know, what they like to do, uh, family dynamics. Um, there was a lot that I had to, uh, I guess, that I had to do beyond the, you know, them just seeing me as, hey, you're not like us or you're not what we're used to seeing in this, um, in this work environment. And, once I started to show them, you know, I, I started to ask for help because begin, uh, beginning in this role, of course, it's not, my, it's not my area of expertise. Yes, I can write, but I do need to understand a lot of the, you know, like, hey, I, I can read these requirements. Can you sketch it out for me? Can you walk me through these things? So again, in the, you know, being vulnerable and asking for help, I think that started to kind of break the ice as well. So as they would walk me through, you know, kind of whatever I had questions about, I also started to have feedback like, hey, you know, have you thought about how you can make this better or easier for your teams? Like, hey, you know, if people are stumbling on what it is that they need to do after reading this, maybe they're not understanding. Maybe I can make this easier for them. So as I started to kind of do a little bit more of that, like, um, making things easier uh, to understand and uh, faster, I guess, um, for them to do, uh, just from me, you know, revamping the, the verbiage and the instructions, it's like, oh yeah, you know, like, so she, like, she is good with this. Um, I think we, you know, we can bring her in to, to take on more of these things. And before I knew it, it's like, you know, they were coming to me just as much as I was going to them. So it was a great, uh, it was a great relationship building, um, just from me being, you know, a little vulnerable, asking for help, and figuring out how we can really build this relationship so that we could work better together. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. How about you? Morning, everyone. Oops, too loud. <laughs> you know, when I started my career about two decades ago, I was a young engineer fresh out of college, very enthusiastic to do my job. My uh, within the first week of 
working, I have one male executive who told me in my face, you will never move up because you're female and you're Asian. It's up to you whether you want to carry it as a weight around your shoulder. You know, as you go through the career. Sorry, I have my tissue. <laughs> <laughs> or use it, you know, to strengthen your personality. Learn everything you need to learn to make you indispensable. <laughs> aerospace is very difficult. I started in aerospace. Two decades in aerospace. It's, when I started, it was a male-dominated industry white male-dominated industry, like many of you probably have experienced, and it's difficult to move. Um, I think I was hired to do the, the dirty work in the lab, I would say, but you know, um, that's an obstacle for most of us, but I see it as my learning curve. I learn everything, because for me, it's a hands-on experience. I learn by touching. How many of you know sealants? I've never, heard anybody looking at an airplane saying, that is a nice ceiling job. I've never heard, everybody's looking, that's a nice paint job, but never ceiling. I mean, you should think about it when the airplane is not leaking fuel, it's the ceiling's work. So, you know, don't be scared, um, learn anything that you can. Um, it's in nature. You will hear a lot of negativity, but turn it to positive. Just learn. And I think that's what Miss Clayton said in, you know, the first day that I, you brought tears to my eyes, you know, just continue on learning, all the negativity, turn it positive. And Andrea, I'll jump in a little bit here. Um, one thing I had to realize is my biggest obstacle was myself. Doubting my abilities. Um, I was presented with an opportunity to manage the chairman's office. Um, there was a conversation held with the senior leadership of the company, and they said, B's the right person for that job. I was, at that time, I was supporting the CFO, um, and I mean, he was a great person to work for, and I really enjoyed the job. I got to network and meet so many influential people across the U.S. by um, being, um, you know, a part of his organization. And I initially turned the job down because I did not see anyone who looked like me I'm in those type of roles, and I knew that there had never been a black person in the chairman's office, managing the chairman's office. And so, fortunate enough, um, James Bell was that CFO at the time, and he called me in his office after he found out I turned it down, and he was like, darling, <laughs> you can't not do that job. He said, this is bigger than you. You accepting that role will pave the way for many people who are coming behind you, and you are standing on the shoulders of some really magnificent black leaders in this company who have helped posture and position you for that role. And I had to get out of my own way, and I took that job, and I rocked it. <laughs> and so I share that experience to say sometimes we have to 
take those uncomfortable roles and get out of our own way. And Norma knows all about that yeah. experience for me. But it was it was life changing for me. Mm -hmm. How about you? Oh, go ahead. Norma. Yeah, but you know, there's a there's a flip side to that. So I'll I'll give you kind of the reverse, um, but very similar to what V just said. There was a time in my career um, where I worked for GE, and at the time I was there, your chairman was there. Uh, Dave Calhoun was there, and we were, were the exact same age, so we were both climbing at the same time. And uh, one thing about GE at the time, I don't know a lot about their culture today, I don't study them as much as I did when I was uh, you know, working as an executive. Um, the one thing about GE is when they come to you and they tell you it's time to move, you have to move. And if you don't move, you're not gonna be in the company. So uh, I was at the time, I think maybe 27. Yeah, I think I was about 27, 28. And my boss came to me and he said, a VP position just opened up and they want you to take it. And I said, I don't want a VP job. And they said, well, why wouldn't you take a VP job? And I said, because I'm not ready for a VP job. So it kind of goes back to what B just said about knowing yourself. I knew that I was not ready to be a vice president in a large corporation. It's a huge responsibility. I had small children at the time, uh, and I was in graduate school at the time, so I just did not want to do that. And so he says, well, they're never gonna come back to you again. And I said, that's fine, because I am not going to be here. <laughs> and so I left the company. <laughs> I literally left the company, didn't have another job to go to, I just decided I am not gonna let someone control what happens to me. So I made that hard decision because I never wanted to feel that imposter syndrome. And when you know you're being set up for failure, which I personally believed I was at the time, I was not willing to play a numbers game because that's what I felt it was. They wanted to get African Americans in top positions, which I totally admire. But putting you there when you're not ready makes no sense. It's terrible for the company and it's really bad for you and it's bad for everyone around you that has to work with you because they know you're struggling, you're know, you know that you're struggling and nobody wins in that scenario. So I made a very hard decision and I left the company. And about a month later, I got the right job for me which was a director level job which would have been the logical next move for me and I stayed at that director level and I kept moving laterally. So we talk about your career and um, you know this whole takeoff piece, you should be taking off all the time, right? Every couple of years, every, about every four to five years, you should be taking off doing something new so that you don't have the imposter syndrome because you're building skill. But the one thing that I wanna caution you on as you're doing that is you can't go like this you cannot go like an F-18 and go completely vertical <laughs> because you're going to fail. You're gonna fail. You gotta go up, you gotta cruise, you gotta go up, you gotta cruise, you gotta go up, you gotta cruise. Then at some point you gotta go sideways and you gotta cruise, you gotta go sideways, you gotta cruise, then you gotta go up and you gotta cruise. And that's pretty much how I built my career. Um, if you look at my background and if you, if you listen to what Karima was saying, she did the exact same thing. I listened very attentively to you know, your background and all the different jobs and all that you've had. And that's really the way you have to do it. You'll avoid the imposter syndrome, you'll know that you belong, you're gonna feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. 
but you're going to have a long-standing career if you do that. But most importantly, you've got to know yourself. And you cannot let someone define what your path is going to look like. You have to define that for yourself. Thank you, Norma. So for me, a challenge for me when I first started, I guess within my career within the company, I didn't realize um, you need a mentor. So that was a big challenge for me when I first started. So I'm in this global company, the Boeing company, and I was in this small team and I thought, oh, I'll just stay here forever, team lead, manager of the small team. And then my manager came to me after like eight months and said, what are you going to do next? It's time for you to go to another team and go, you know, somewhere else to learn something new. And I thought he was trying to kick me out the group. I'm like, why are you trying to kick me out your group? And I, and so then he told me to, um, a couple of people to talk to. So I went and talked to them, and they gave me other mentors to talk to. So that really helped my career is having mentors and advocates and to know um, more about the company, more about um, – I mean, my mentors helped me with job, um, getting ready for job interviews, um, how to have a um, talk about when you have your your performance evaluations. They helped me with having the conversation on how you um, have a, 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 a great performance evaluation with your managers. And um, it was just... And just help me navigate throughout the company and different open me up to different opportunities. I wouldn't be here at this conference right now if it wasn't for one of my mentors. So it's just um, having mentors just open up your eyes to a lot within a global company. We, you know, you have this, many of us work for these huge companies. So it's just a way to get to know um, your um, employees from different areas and how we can all just come together. So that's one um, challenge that I was had overcame when I first started with the company. Thanks, Joy. Um, I think it's important, you know, we were talking about mentors, right? Um, I know early on for me, um, I've, I've had quite a few mentors. Some of them are in this room. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Y'all know who y'all are. Um, <laughs> And, you know, one thing I, I learned um, specifically from Ms. Clayton there on the end was making sure that I had a personal board of directors, right? Just making sure you had the right set of people. It's not one mentor because it's different mentors serve different purposes. Um, so thinking about, you know, how you've been influenced over your career, who has been some of your most influential mentors and how have they provided you the best guidance? I'm going to start at the end with Norma. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, you need not only the board of directors, but some of those people need to be external to the company. Um, I remember when I came to Boeing, and you guys are going to find this strange, but I'm going to share it with you. I wasn't negotiating salary. I wasn't negotiating benefits. I was negotiating an advocate. Okay, so I would not take the job unless the Boeing company gave me an advocate that was not in my division. And the reason why I did that is because it was a very big company and they were getting ready to uh, integrate the company together, McDonnell, Douglas, and Boeing. And if you know anything about mergers and acquisitions, which I did because I spent a lot of time at GE doing that, 
you can get lost in these corporate cultures and subcultures. So for someone that had never lived in the Midwest before, I'm an East Coaster, if you haven't figured out from my accent, you know, we tend to run very fast, very hard. We plow over things, but we're all about getting stuff done coming into a culture which likes to step back and examine everything to the ninth degree, um, that doesn't work very well. And so you need someone that can help you bridge that chasm. And I wanted someone who was totally independent of the decisions that I had, I had to make. So I have a cadre, still do, of external mentors. Some of them are corporate CEOs. Some of them are university professors. Some of them are small business owners. Uh, and some of them are people like yourself, individual contributors, managers. I believe that you get different types of information at those different levels. The higher you go, the less visibility you have to what's really going on below you. So don't forget about the people who are really doing the work. They're the ones that are going to tell you what you need to know. Um, and so um, I even had, believe it or not, some maintenance folks that mentored me because they needed to let me know what was really happening in the factories that I was responsible for. So um, I just think you need a variety of people. They change over time as you move into different jobs, as you move to different cities, but you should never lose, uh, you know, never lose sight of them. I had one in the finance world uh, to make sure that I really understood the numbers uh, just as well as my boss understood them, if not better in, in some places. So in every role that I was ever in, whether it was in HR, which was my last role, engineering, supply chain management, community service, I had a mentor in each of those roles, and I still maintain, maintain that today. Um, even in my newest role over at the, uh, at the Academy of Engineers, I have a mentor over there to help me make this transition of working locally to working on behalf of the country. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different set of politics. So I encourage you to do that. Thanks, Norma. We're going to shift gears, and now we're going to talk about the cruise phase. Um, we know during the, the cruise phase, it's important to check in with ourselves to ensure that we're headed in the right direction. And having a career roadmap is a useful tool for helping us to stay focused. When reflecting on your own unique journey, how effective has a plan or roadmap been for you up to this point in your career? I'll let you be. <laughs> I'll jump in. Um, so I had an opportunity to um, work on one of the HR skills-based teams um, in helping to develop what they called a career roadmap for individuals who were in project management as well as administrative roles within the company. Um, and I had already developed what I called a career roadmap for myself, which gave me specific goals and priorities in terms of, you know, where I felt I should be, you know, at that six-month mark, at that nine-month mark, at that 18-month mark. Um, one thing I think was really good for me with my informal as well as formal mentors, advocates, um, and sponsors is I shared that career roadmap or what my priorities were with them. And so they were, during our conversations, they were holding me accountable. You know, well, where are you 
on reaching this specific goal um, in terms of, you know, you know, have you thought about a different approach or, you know, at some one time when I was like struggling with time and I was like, I just haven't had the time. And they're like, well, what are you doing that's taken away, you know, from that time? And I will say, as we talk about, you know, how influential mentors are with your career roadmap, my mother was one of my biggest mentors and I shared my career roadmap with her because I was raising two children and it takes a village. And she was my village. And so when I was finding myself struggling with time, she would help me create that time. So I think it's important, whoever your advocates are, your mentors, to share your journey with them and what that roadmap is because sometimes they can see things that you can't see and they can hold you accountable as well. Yeah, I, I know for me, um, I usually show up to my mentoring session with my notebook. I have a binder. Um, in my binder, I have my gap analysis. I have my resume. I have um, the experiences that I've had, the experiences that I need so that I'm, I know what I'm going in there to ask for, right, where I need help. Um, do you know somebody who can help me get this experience? Um, who should I talk to about learning more about this thing? Um, so that is always, always important. Um, let's see. Um, Clarissa, did you want to jump in? Because yeah. um, growing up, I don't know the word roadmap. Mm -hmm. So for those who doesn't have any roadmap right now, seek advice. Um, you never know who can help you. You probably have a different mindset to reach to that goal, but you know somebody might know you from the outside. So talk to people that you know, probably can guide you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll share something with you um, that my mother um, shared with me, because she's, she has and always will be, even though she's in heaven, um, will be my biggest mentor. And she would always say to me, if you fail, to plan, you plan to fail. And so um, I've always had a roadmap. In fact, I was out on Google recently and I saw my flight plan out there. I don't know how it got out there, but it's out there on Google. Um, so, and it is, it is literally called my flight path. Um, and so um, I've always had a roadmap, but I do one thing more and that's just simply because I'm anal retentive. Um, that's just a, it's just me, it's who I am. Yeah, Charlie's, yeah, she knows, she has been at my home. My house is lean everywhere. Um, yeah, I'm just one of those people that's a little, you know, uh, anal retentive. And so I journal every day. And I have journaled my entire life from the time I was 16 years old, I had a diary. And I do it, before I go to bed, I do what's called emptying my head into my notebook. Um, and I went from paper to a Blackberry, then a Blackberry to an iPhone, iPhone to an iPad, now I finally made it to my personal computer. Um, but having that and having a roadmap gives you tremendous insight that you never thought you could imagine. Because like Andrea said, the gaps, if you put something down in your roadmap like, I wanna be a strategic leader, you know, I wanna lead, an innovation center, if you just go back and look at what you're doing every day, how you spend your time, you're gonna find out you probably aren't spending any time on that, so how is that a realistic goal? So um, by doing that, I can learn from past mistakes and I can make sure that I'm really focused on the things that are gonna get me towards my future. So I think having a roadmap 
is important. Now, you can get there without one, um, but you're going to pay a lot of painful lessons along the way. So I highly encourage you to develop a roadmap, one that you want, not one that somebody wants for you, but one that fits your career interests, that fits um, your capacity as a human being, you know, things you think you can you know, physically do or want to learn, and something that is going to excite you every single day when you get up. Because your bosses will create it for you if you don't do it yourself, and it may not be the right one for you. Take yeah. ownership. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, I know in, in one of the roles I was in when I was under HR, mm -hmm. um, there were many leaders uh, that I worked with who um, would say, hey, this would be a perfect job for Prem um, when Norma retires. But they haven't had a conversation with Prem. Exactly. They don't know what Prem wants to do. And I would say, well, Prem hates doing it. She does it because it's a part of her job. Right. But if she had to do it every day, we're going to lose Prem. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's absolutely really, really good advice. Um, and pulling on that, um, what has been some of the best career advice you have received in order to avoid turbulence in your cruise stage? I'll start with you, Carissa. Okay, turbulence comes in um, many forms, personal, professional. Uh, the best advice I've received from one of my mentors is if you have a personal problem, don't bring it to work because you'll be prone to make mistakes and it's not good. And if you have professional problems, don't bring it at home because your relationship will suffer. It's good to talk about it, but don't let it uh, be the rift between you and uh, the people that you're living with. Um, in professional environment, there would always be some coworkers that may not like to work with you. Um, one good advice that I got from Dr. K. Blohoviak, our senior technical fellow at Boeing, she said to rise above. Um, like I've been saying this over and over again, don't let it affect you. I know it will hurt, but um, rise above. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm just gonna go on down the okay. line. Um, I would say, remember that we are the pilot and we are in control of our flight plan. And start with an outcome in mind, be intentional and know where it is you want to be. There will be so many obstacles and you will encounter turbulence um, throughout your career. But when you stay focused on what that outcome looks like, then it is really difficult to shake you. And then also, you know, having people who are around you that are not negative Nancy's, but people who are just transparent and honest with their conversations with you. Um, negativity breeds negativity not solutions and so just really being focused and you know at the end of the day you're in control so for me a couple of advice that i receive one is to dress for the part that you want to be or dress how you want to be in the company so um i know i attended a seminar last week or a couple of weeks ago and one of my mentors said you are a walking billboard so you want to look the part you want and you know so people can look at you and say okay she's serious or so i know for me i work in a part um department where it's a bunch of engineers and it's probably it's a 
probably like 100 or so people and there's only three women of color on the floor. And so I just know for me, I always, even on Fridays, I dress up with my slacks and button down or whatever. So just a professional, because um, I just know it just seemed like they when they come over, they know that I guess it looked like I know what I'm talking about. I just <laughs> looked the part. So <laughs> when they come ask questions, so that's one of the advices that I had. And also to just um, stay involved um, within um, the company, like a resource group within the company or outside the company. Um, like Prem had mentioned in my um, bio that I've been a part of the National Association of Black Accountants for ever since college. And so they helped also develop my leadership skills and uh, provide other opportunities outside that, I mean, yeah, provide me other opportunities that and other skills that helped me within the Boeing company. So those are the two things I have. Thank you. So the one piece of, uh, I guess, advice that, that comes to mind would be the setting professional and personal uh, boundaries. Um, and setting them is the easy part. Uh, enforcing them is, is the piece that is really key. Um, when you are someone that naturally kind of takes on everything, you know, people want to give you the, the problems, the opportunities for to succeed, you know, not everything is an opportunity to succeed, depending on, you know, if you are actually positioned uh, for success or not. But um, I, I'm not always, at a point of, hey, I can take this on. I don't always have the bandwidth. And I think at one point in my career, I thought I was superwoman and I could take on everything and I suffered. Um, and to a certain extent, some of those projects may have suffered because I just, I, I took on more than I could really handle. And at some point you really have to set those boundaries um, to make sure that you are okay, to make sure that the work that you are leading does not suffer. Um, and I think, uh, especially when uh, home started to feel like work uh, in the pandemic, when we all had to, um, well, majority of us might have uh, been in, in the home office versus uh, the actual uh, physical office. Um, boundaries are definitely a, a challenge for me because the, the, the time that I spent uh, at my desk um, probably got greater and greater each day, so at what Point, do I take time for myself? What time? Like, when do I rest? When do I eat? When do I, you know, take the time to invest in my career plan? And it's just like, you know, what time am I actually spending um, to work on myself, to work on what's next, to make sure I'm okay? Um, you know, a mental check, but, but definitely setting those personal and professional boundaries. Like, you just can't take on um, all the things. Um, definitely found that out the, the hard way. Well, as Andrea said, I'm getting ready to drop a pearl of knowledge, <laughs> right? Uh, so um, it, it's advice for you. But one of, the, one of the pieces of advice that I got was be accountable. Be accountable for everything that you do. I've seen a lot of people, you know, do what I call the anybody salute. It's somebody else's problem, it's not my problem. You have to be accountable, even when you're wrong. Um, be accountable for what you do. But the other thing that, um, that I'll share with you that I live by, and that is I teach people how to manage me. I don't wanna manage them. They need to figure out how to manage their boss because if I'm managing you, 
I am not doing my job. So one of the pieces of advice that I got was to really sit down with my team and help them understand where my boundaries are so that they understand how to work with me. So let me, let me ask you all a question. How many of your employees try to flag you down when you're going to the bathroom? I don't need to see a, a, a raise of hands, but <laughs> how annoying is that, right? How many people are flagging you down in a meeting when you're trying to get a meal when they're trying to get a meal, right? Totally ignoring you. How many people in your organization or have you ever had the experience where uh, a deadline is due and you gave an assignment to someone and they never told you that it wasn't going to be due on time, but they expected you to, to suffer with the fact that you're going to miss your deadline? You have to let people know who you are. Um, and so one of my mentors told me that, and it has really worked to my benefit to sit down and tell people, do not stop me if I'm going to the bathroom because I'm not good for you at that point and I'm not listening to anything you're saying because I'm focused on going to the bathroom so I don't embarrass myself, right? <laughs> so those are just simple things, but they go a long way in terms of simplifying your life and the other piece of advice I got was your inbox is always going to be full. So figure out how to set it up so that the things that are important that really need to get done, get done. And if you send me something as a BCC, I'm telling you right now, I'm never looking at it. Or you CC me on something, I'm not looking at it. If it requires my attention, send it to me directly. So that allows me to maintain my personal boundaries and my professional boundaries and be the best that I can be. So be accountable and teach your team how to manage you. Don't, don't manage them. All right, we're getting in. We're gonna start decelerating. We're coming now down into the landing. Um, and I'm gonna start with you, Norma, again. Y'all gonna get all these pearls from Norma today. She, she, she gonna give them all. Now that you've landed one career, what have you been working on in this phase of your new career? It's really about giving back. I, I have had an outstanding um, career, one I could have never anticipated. I, I mean, seriously, five Fortune 500 companies, you know, probably nine, ten different, really, I mean, really different jobs that I never thought that I would ever have. But now I'm able to step back and reflect on all of that and figure out how can I give the best back to the corporate world, the academic world, and to the nation. So when I started laying out my landing plan, there were a couple of things I really wanted to do. I wanted to keep my hands in technology, but I wanted to be able to do it from a governance perspective, making sure that corporations are being held accountable and doing the right thing. Um, so there were two very specific companies that, whose boards I wanted to join. One of them I got on, the other one I can't talk about, but you'll be reading about it very soon. Um, the other part was giving back to the nation. And so for three years, I had been doing research, um, primarily during COVID. Two of those years I spent uh, during COVID, um, you know, pretty much we couldn't go anywhere. So I did a lot of research. Um, and I wanted to get into the National Academy where I could work really serious problems on behalf of the country, particularly in the industrial sector. So I applied and after three attempts, I finally got in there. And then the third thing that I wanted to do was work with 
underserved students. And Tuskegee University was very important to me because I was accepted there as an undergraduate student and unfortunately I couldn't go there because my parents already had four of the children in college so I had to follow the money. So I had to take a school that offered me a full academic scholarship. Great school, I loved it, had a great experience but I really wanted an experience in a university with people who look like me. So I committed myself to um, finding an opportunity where I could go back and help that school. And it was through a Boeing employee, Barbara Wilson, some of you may have known her, um, that uh, she gave me an opportunity to accompany her on a trip. And uh, I got to meet the president and I met with the president several times thereafter and I ended up on the board, now I chair the board. Um, and then my alma mater, which gave a lot to me, the New Jersey Institute of Technology, because it was there where I got my engineering training and there where I felt I could make a huge community, a huge uh, improvement in the community because I actually spent my formative years in the city of Newark in a housing project. And so I wanted to make sure that I could do something for that community to continue to raise the economic wealth and the social, upward social mobility of that community. So I ended up joining their board of overseers and now I'm the co-chair of the board uh, and that's a governor appointed board for the state of New Jersey. So I got to do the things that were on my roadmap. So it's all about philanthropy. It's all about continuing to mentor. It's working on behalf of the nation. And then it's also finding time to do something that I enjoy doing which is traveling with some of my former Boeing colleagues. So a lot of us are out there, we're traveling all over the place, people you've known and loved and worked with. Um, and then we also work at the academic and, um, and the industrial level. So, you know, I'm kind of living the dream right now. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, in this, in this landing phase, but I'm getting ready to take off again. Uh, with the Academy of Engineering and now that my research is done, I can now uh, finish writing the epilogue for my PhD and hopefully graduate next year. So, wow. um, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about that and I'm thankful to all of you that I had a chance to work with at Boeing because um, without your support and your leadership, um, I certainly could not be doing the things that I'm doing today. So I appreciate it. And Tim, I'm gonna give you a special shout out because of all the work that you did with my learning. I know you guys hated it when I first launched it, but <laughs> hopefully you understand the, the, the rationale behind it. Um, and uh, it was probably ahead of its time. Hopefully it's getting better um, for you, but uh, it was something that I felt was really important. Um, you know, and I believe in raising my voice when when I see something is screwed up, I'm gonna try to go fix it, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I left you with something that is gonna help you for many years to come. So thank you, Tim, appreciate that so much. So sticking with the transitioning theme, um, we're, we're not ready to land yet. We're, we're still cruising a little bit. We're, we're looking to land. Um, we're on approach. We're on approach, <laughs> yes. So now that we're on approach, um, Carissa, did you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing in this tr transitioning phase of your career? 
sure. Um, I don't know how to what to say after this. <laughs> but in terms of learning, uh, we have this excellent program in Boeing called Learning Together Program. I'm currently taking my PhD through that program because um, yeah. I want to teach when I retire, and I hope to see more hands knowing about sealants <laughs> next time. <I'm> here. <laughs> so. That's one of the things. So I encourage you to, to check your company, especially Boeing people around here. Learning Together program is a good way to go. Is that one of yours, Norma? Yes, it is. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How about you, Joy? So doing the landing phase of my career, what I would be doing is mentoring others, letting them know how to navigate through their career. Even now, if someone comes to me um, and tell me a problem, I send them different people they can talk to, different resource groups I think they can join, um, provide other advice. So during the landing time, I will provide advice to other employees um, about how to navigate through their career. And also during the landing phase, I hope to be in a job that I love doing. So, you know, you're doing landing, you're almost thinking about retiring. So when I think about retiring, I, when I go into the work every day, I want it to be something I love doing. So that's my plan for when I get to the landing phase. And then also still just um, do more with the community and, um, and that's, that's what I have when I'm thinking about retiring, which probably be like 25 years from now. But <laughs> that's my plan right now. Did you want to add anything? Um, I would say, you know, I have landing somewhere on the horizon where I don't know. Um, and I think the things that I'm doing now are setting me up for that landing phase. Um, I'm active in the community mentoring youth um, who are pursuing post-secondary disciplines in STEM. I'm active volunteering in the community and I got my whole family right there with me helping me. And so um, I have brothers who are very active in the community. I got my daughter and, and, and the rest of my family out there helping me hand out backpacks. And so um, I think I would definitely like to stay actively engaged in philanthropy, but just helping from an economic mobility perspective as I think about how communities of color have been so deeply impacted by COVID, impacted by job loss, and just, you know, the past couple years have really highlighted the disparities in our community. So from a workforce transition perspective, helping with workforce training programs, and really setting up our communities for success. And so I'm kind of paving the way a little bit for what that looks like, involved in a lot of nonprofit organizations, but definitely plan to continue to have an impact and be the voice for those who can't be heard. Karima, before I move on, did you want to add anything? Oh yeah, well, I guess kind of similar themes. Um, I'm hoping that my landing phase will, you know, have a position that, you know, where passion, performance, and um, purpose really aligns and um, in the way that I like to give back to the community. So, you know, whatever that may look like, uh, you know, that's still to be determined, but, but definitely looking for all of those elements to align in, in one position. Yeah, I know for me, I'm reevaluating what retirement looks like, right? Um, my idea of retirement was you go home and you sit down and you watch TV and you don't have <laughs> nothing to do all day, right? Um, my mentor here on the end, she wear me out with how much stuff she does. 
And so, you know, I think about all the things, uh, like Karima said, that bring, bring me passion, right? And, you know, when I do transition and I'm retired, I don't have to slow down, right? So you start integrating that stuff now, right, into a part of your operating rhythm of your daily life so that when you do have to transition, it's not a hard stop. Right? You don't stop working and then you're trying to build up that stuff. So if you're involved in it and you're doing it, you just you just keep moving. You just like she was so smooth. She just bounced out of Boeing and then she was over here. I'm like, where are you at now? Oh, I'm in Africa. I'm oh, okay. All right, well, when will you be back? I'll be back next week. And then I'll be like, oh, well, you know, let me check in and see how she's doing. Oh, I'm in Dubai. But she said you was coming back. So you know, it's really given me a different frame of mind of what retirement looks like, right? And that it doesn't mean that, you know, life stops and you have to sit down and, you know, rest on your laurels. You're, you're able to just get out there and just keep doing the things that bring you joy. Yeah, and for those of you who are close to retirement, there's probably a couple of you out there. Um, one of the things I would say to you is you need a plan for retirement. Right. Uh, to Andrea's point, a lot of people, you know, they retire on Friday and then they, they become what I call the retread. Right. They end up back at Boeing in a month or two months or whatever the, you know, the period of time is that you have to stay away. I, I don't remember how many days it is or months, but yeah, 61 or whatever it is. They come back. They end up coming back because they made Boeing their entire life. And, and what I want you all to understand, those of you who are getting close to retirement, I want you to understand that our time is past. You all saw The Lion King, right? You remember, you, don't you remember, when, I, I, love, I love Disney. So don't you remember when uh, Mufasa died and he, well, well, when he was talking to Simba on the mountain on Pride Rock and he said, Simba, one day this will all be yours, right? Because my time has passed, my time is gonna pass. And that's what we have to understand is that our time has passed, right? So we need to get out of the way and open the door for the next person who's going to be replacing us. So our job is to make sure that that organization is ready for you to leave and that you have built your transition plan out. Because if you don't, I guarantee you, you're gonna end up either back at Boeing, or you're gonna go to Raytheon, or you're gonna go to Northrop. I meet with these groups all the time, and it's like homecoming. It's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? You can still love the aerospace industry. You can still love IT. You can still own manufacturing, you know, love it. There's so much out there that can be done, but we need to get out of the way and let these young people do it, right? So that's the message, get out. Yes. All right, before we transition to question and answer, Norma, I have one more question for you. Okay. Um, we've been hearing about the future workforce. Can you describe oh, okay. what that might look like, particularly for women of color? And how might early career women um, prepare for that? Yeah, that's a really good question since I spend so much time with college students. And y'all were laughing at me for being on TikTok. Somebody was laughing at me. Oh, it was worldwide. They were laughing at me for being on TikTok. 
Well, I deal with a lot of college students, and as I told you before, if you're going to be in that environment, you got to learn the lingo and all so that they see you as a peer and not as this old person, right? Um, but when I think about what the world of work is going to look like, the metaverse is here. It is here. And you all are on the forefront of that with virtual reality and, and to artificial intelligence and things of that sort. I think that um, the technology curve will continue to get faster with the internet of things. I think that people are gonna stay in positions for much shorter periods of time. I think you're gonna have a revolving door of talent in the first five to seven years. It's actually slowed down. Um, and I think COVID kind of reset uh, the millennials a little bit to help them understand that you need a little bit more depth before you can you know, move on into another job. So I think they've kind of settled in and understood um, you know, that I, I have to put some time in, not a whole lot, but I gotta put some time in so that I can learn from my mistakes and move on. I also think that more people are gonna work anywhere, anytime. So you're not gonna have these big buildings with all of the infrastructure in them. I was in the UK recently, and I love what they did. They have these telephone booths in a lot of their um, corporate environments now, and inside the telephone booth is a suitcase, and in the suitcase is everything you need for a meeting. You've got all of your, all of your connectors, you've got a smart board embedded in there, you've got all the tools that you need, but no one has an office. People work wherever they are whether it's in a Starbucks, whether it's in a park, whether it's at home, they work wherever they need to work. Um, they have very strong career development plans so that managers can see exactly what they're doing. And what we're doing at the university level is replicating that. We're moving away from standard classrooms, as you all knew classrooms, where you had your own little seat, you know, and things like that. We don't have that anymore. A lot of the classrooms are innovation spaces um, so that people come in and, and they doodle all day long. They listen to lectures online. They don't sit in formal classrooms and listen to lectures anymore. Uh, and I think for women, there's gonna be a much more tolerance for women having families. Um, I think the pure marital statistics um, are frightening because families are now coming in many more shapes and sizes as they did before. Um, people are not staying married for very long periods of time, so co-parenting is gonna take on a whole new life form for women um, as we go forward. So I think that your HR function has to be aware of these changes and start mimicking some of their processes internally to be ready for Gen Z as they come into the workplace. They're coming in better equipped in terms of language, most of them are gonna be multi, multilingual coming in. I have a 32-year-old that's fluent in Spanish and Portugal. You probably didn't know AJ spoke Portugal. Yeah, Portuguese. Yeah, he's fluent in two languages um, as well as English. They're, they're coming in with an entrepreneurial mindset. They don't want leadership telling them what to do. They wanna, be, they wanna own their project from start to finish. So you're gonna to have to redesign how you package work for your next generation, women in particular, because they're gonna want more flexibility to be able to balance their life at home. Well, I don't even wanna say balance, but blend their, their life at home with their, with their work life. So COVID gave you a teaser of what you need to do. You just now need to build upon that 
with women um, being your central, your, your central focal point because they're really going to drive things. I can tell you right now, um, at the STEM universities, it used to be that they were 80% male, 20% women. It's now 70% women and 20 to 30% men. So it's very, very different environment coming in. Yeah. So great news for women, um, but certainly going to require a lot of process changes and a lot of mindset changes on behalf of both sexes so that they figure out how to work together. Thank you, Norma. All right, we're going to open the floor. What questions do you have for us? Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Tracy Hill. I'm here representing uh, 84th Training to Command, Fort Knox, Kentucky, also a service member. So it's very awesome to be here. Um, thank you so much. So the question is, how do you all view or see yourselves as women leaders versus our men that are out there today? Because we know that a percentage of them, and some still have this mindset to where the woman sh really should be in the home or doing more family things and whatnot, but you all have excelled as a lot of us are. So how do you see yourself as opposed to our males that are out there? And it's just a fair question, so it's nothing on the ones that are present here today. <laughs> you all are awesome as well, but I just want to hear from our, our women leaders. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll start. I mean, I see myself as a woman phenomenally, right? Um, I, I, I grew up in the Bronx, right? So um, I have always been taught by my mother, my grandmother, that I need to own who I am no matter what room I walk into. And so that's all I know, right? So for me, it's just always just showing up authentically who I am. Well, I'm part Indian, so in our culture, women walk um, three steps behind men. But uh, the culture that we have in the United States has um, enabled us to walk side by side with men. And I think that's the same thing in our career. We should um, try to be as equal as um, the men in our industry, especially aerospace. I'll just set the stage and say I have four brothers. Uh, we lost our mom about 11 years ago to breast cancer. I'm the matriarch. Wow. So we think about the hierarchical family structure. The woman was the matriarch of the family, and she was basically, you know, pretty much running it. So when I see myself in terms of my male peers, I view myself as I am just as qualified if, and I deserve to be here. I'm not asking for a seat. I'm sitting down. Amen. That's right. So yeah, as soon as you asked the question, that's the same thing. I was thinking of what all these ladies said, that I feel like I'm an equal. I am an equal just as much as they are. I deserve to be there just as much as they do. So I don't see any difference between myself and the male counterpart of when we're in the meetings and discussing topics. So I feel like we're equal. I feel like the empowered woman in the room. If I have something to say and I'm outnumbered, uh, perhaps I need to say it differently, but I'm going to say what I have to say and use my voice. So. I feel like I'm empowered no matter who's in the room. Your 
comes another pearl. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. Give it to us. I, I agree with everything that's been said, um, but in terms of keeping my femininity and being able to work with men, rather than being bold and tell them what I know, I'll say to them, you know, I'm curious about that. So I just take all the energy right away of this, you know, uh, this dominant, subordinate, you know, relationship, and I neutralize it by saying, by framing a question from a place of curiosity. I think that it puts men in a very different place, and it allows them to have a more intelligent conversation with you, and you don't feel like you're, you know, bucking heads all the time. And that that has worked very well for me because. The boards that I sit on, um, generally I'm the only female, or I have been the only female on those boards, and the technical boards even more so. There are no other females. So, um, you know, in order to get these folks to work with me and share with me what they know, you know, I have to kind of pull back a little bit and approach them a little bit differently. So I try to observe first, and then once I understand who they are and where they're coming from, I always approach him from a place of curiosity. Okay, and awesome. that, that just seems to work well. Very good. Well, thank you so much, STEM leaders, our women. You all have answered my question, and we have to all remember to stand up because we have a voice. Yes, thank you, you so much. Yep. Yep. Good morning. My name is Crystal Matthews. I'm a senior quality program manager for the Boeing Company in St. Louis. And so the question I have for all of you today are, a lot of you mentioned that you know, you're in your manager role, you're also doing the BRG groups, you have your volunteer activities. So how do you make sure that you're effective in all those things that you do? You know, I have the desire, I wanna you know, do volunteer work, I wanna be in the BRG groups and do this, but my current role is very demanding. And so I wanna be effective in my current role, but also get involved in some of these extracurricular activities or things that I'm interested in. So how do you maintain that balance? How do you make sure that you're effective in your role that you're getting paid for, but the ones that you want to volunteer for and do those things? So. I mean, that's a great question. Um, I'm on the planning committee for women of color. Um, I have a full-time job. Um, I'm also on the planning committee for Bea. Um, how I approach it is um, I focus on what I get paid to do first. Right, and then I prioritize the other things um, that I enjoy doing, like serving on the Women of Color Committee, right? Because what you what you come to Boeing for is the job that they pay you for. So I focus on that first. I am clear about um, the time that I have to commit to these teams. So if there is uh, something that Paris needs me to do for Women of Color, I am transparent in what is on my work plate. Paris, I am um, overwhelmed this week with taking care of one, two, three. When do you need this? And is it okay if I get it done within this window because that's when I have the time to work it, right? And if you're honest about the time and what you can do, I think you can work it out. But if you take on all this stuff, sort of like what Karima said earlier, right? And you're, you're saying yes, yes, yes to everything and you can't do it, then you can't be effective. I would just say I think my role is a little unique because that's corporate philanthropy is part of my day job. 
So I get to go out and volunteer and support the community as part of my role. And I get to work with the BRGs and I get to work with, you know, Women of Color and Summit and Bea and all of those because it's part of my job. But the things that I do personally from a volunteering perspective, I integrate it into my family life. It is something that we do together. So I'm not gonna be naive and tell you that I've achieved any work-life balance in the 21 years I've been at Boeing because I don't believe there's any so, such thing. I think that you have to find a way to integrate what you're passionate about with other areas of your life. Pulse your leadership about it. Hey, do you think I have the proper balance of these so that when you get your rating at the end of the year, you understand their true perception about how you're balancing it. Do they see that your work is is lessening or your output of work is lessening because they feel you're too you got to know their perception about it because you want to you don't want to wait to that performance review and have to call them out and be like but you said it was good to get involved in this while I do this but now you think I suck right so you want to know what they're thinking so that you can curtail that along the way and fix it and adjust as you need to along the way or get the right resources to back you in the extracurricular as you do xyz just don't wait to the end volunteers for hiring events. You're asking for quality managers to go out to these hiring events and bring back more people that look like us into the quality organization, but at the same time you're saying you're going too much, so what is it? You know, so that's why I'm asking the question. And that just happened like this week. So, I want to know. Good morning, ladies. My name is Jackie Bell, and I'm with AT&T, and I'm a senior proposal manager. You guys have been great, but I'm gonna go to a generational question. I think the young lady mentioned on the end. So at AT&T, we just had a shift change. So my leadership is younger than me. So I'm in the landing stage. So I know what I bring to the table because with my supervisor, direct supervisor, she has a lot of questions and I have history and knowledge. But as leaders, how would you advise people in the landing stage when the company does that shift and that new generation come in and they're all younger, even your senior VP is younger than you, and you do the one-on-one -on -one yearly with the senior VP, which is a warm and fuzzy. You know, hey, how are you doing? How do you like the company? And you're like, well, you know, I'm thinking five years now. You're like, it's great. What do you see we can change? I'm like, if you stick around two more years, what I did in 2018 will be back on the table. So just your experience working with younger leadership or people like me in the landing stage and your upline is younger. We'll let our landing expert answer that. Thank you, Joel. We're going to throw that over to me. Um, you know, it, it is a tough one, and I think that um, it starts with a conversation. Um, I think that you need to sit down with the individual one-on-one -on -one and have them tell you a little bit about themselves, have them tell you a little bit about the job that they're in so that you are clear on what their role is in leading you. Um, and then you need to share a little bit about what your experience has been and what your goals are. And if those things don't align, then I think you may have a situation where you may have to have some different conversations. Um, a lot of young people coming in, being put into these jobs, have no idea what, they're, what they've been asked to do. And so I try to find out just how much do they really know 
um, and find out about their leadership experience because you may be working with someone that you may actually be able to help as a mentor. Even though he's the boss, you may be able to help this person over that hump as they're transitioning into a new job. I don't know whether AT&T um, you know, has a really strong onboarding process for managers and leaders. If they do, it's probably around personality traits. It's probably not around dealing with generational differences. They, they do have it. Okay, well that's fantastic because a lot of companies don't. They just put people in these roles and it's a sink or swim kind of thing. So if they really do have a good program, then I would sit down and start with the conversation so that you can at least develop, you know, some understanding. It's very much like what Karima was saying about, you know, going into cyber. She didn't have the background, but she wrote well, right? And so these people could help her understand how cyber worked so that she could then translate. Because it's going to come down to respect for both of you, for your knowledge and wisdom, because that's really what he wants from you, and you respecting the fact that he's bringing in something different into the organization based on the role that he's been asked to take on. So try that first. Try having a conversation. Don't assume anything. Try having the conversation. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Give him a little slack in the beginning because he or she is new. And then if all else fails, you have to have that honest conversation with them and let them know this is not working. Okay? All right, we have one more question and then we're going to close. My name is Kalia. Um, I'm a senior in college. Um, my question to you guys is I'm more so in the takeoff stage as I begin my career. And I wanted to know, as someone who is in the takeoff stage, how can you create um, a plan, a career plan, but also still explore new options and learn more about the career? Yeah, and, and I believe you're at Worldwide. Are you going to Worldwide? Are you my college student that's going yeah. to Worldwide? <laughs> Okay, I love Worldwide, just so you all know. For I think it's, Ashley's not here anymore, but I think they're like eight or nine years in as one of the best places to work in this country. Um, so first of all, you are going into a wonderful company to begin with. Um, I think that step one for you is learning the job. Worldwide is a big company. It is transitioning because it's going global. Um, I think that they have a very, very good, good handle around how to onboard women into the company and how to grow them. They, they have the recipe. Uh, I'm not recruiting for Worldwide. I'm just telling you what I know um, after working with them for almost 20 years um, in St. Louis. Um, I think that um, it starts with your HR team there. They have a pretty good career roadmap already laid out for you to help you figure out where you're going to go. Your first year is going to be very exploratory, um, where you're going to come into that company and they're probably going to put you in lots of different roles and see, you know, which one you really adapt to. So I would be completely open-minded. Don't lock yourself in. And after six months, when you sit down and you talk to your manager, you need to give them honest feedback. These are the things I really like. These are the things I didn't like. And then they'll help you build that career roadmap for your first five years. So you're probably one of the luckier new ones coming into, uh, into a corporate setting. And congratulations for being hired by Worldwide. It's tough to get in there. So good for you. 
All right, guys. Well, that's our time. We um, sincerely appreciate you being here with us this morning. We know you could be anywhere, but uh, choosing to spend your morning with us, we appreciate it. I also want to thank our wonderful panelists. Let's give them a round of applause. Four of these women will be getting honored tonight at the gala, so we hope that you join us. And we especially want to thank our alumni, the fabulous Norma Clayton. Did anybody have anything else they wanted to no, say I before we close out? I would just ask the panel if they could remain on stage for a few minutes. Perfect. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you.